Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> Franchise pros, stand the man, Paul Segretto. Time to show you the way of franchising today. Hey, do you possess the spirit of an entrepreneur? Wanna lay your business plan down like a rug or a floor? Or maybe you have a dream of opening a chain of delis? Or whatever passion lights that pilot light under your belly? Or do you want to start a business, fam, using the proven trademark from another brand? Huh. And grow together and expand like a rage of fire From a single to a multi-unit empire Well pay attention to this podcast that you hear It's streaming in HD to fine tune above your ears And standing Paul lays down the law Whether you want to be a franchisee or a franchisor It's all about sustainable growth, the sensible franchising Proving concepts to smart enterprises So use your left and right side of your brain And absorb this knowledge here of franchising today Franchising today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today. Franchise today. Franchise today. Yeah. Hello, everyone in the franchise world. My name is Paul Segreto, and this is Franchise Today. Yes. We are back. It is Wednesday, March 14, 2018. My co-host, the ever-infamous Stan Friedman, <laughs> live from Atlanta, Georgia. Stan, good to be back. Infamous in my own mind, Paul. It's, it's <laughs> all in the head. <laughs> hey, we, uh, you know, I know you love doing this program live because you always feel like there's that added edge of the unexpected. And, you know, right up to showtime, I wasn't sure we were going on today, Paul. Yeah, I know. It uh, It was It was funny as I was, as Blog Talk Radio technology was preventing us both from going in, um, I actually got you in on a merge just as um, Badlands. Badlands was starting to sing. Yeah, that was it. So uh, trying to work dashboard, phones, technology, got to love it, got to hate it. Well, I can't use my Yeti mic today, so we're on a phone line. Sorry about that, but uh, hey, we're on and we're back, and it's good to be back. It's been a nice long stretch of quiet time, but I've, I've missed doing this, Paul. Yeah, I've, I've missed it too. What's really amazing, I was looking at uh, some of the uh, statistics, uh, some of the metrics in the uh, in the dashboard, and uh, I'm really pleasantly surprised. And uh, I want to thank all our listeners that continued to um, uh, access the on-demand um, segments, and uh, it's just been great. So, franchise today was living live with without us being on live. It's kind of funny. I've I've actually had a couple of emails from some people who. We're asking, when when are you coming back or are you coming back? And then I've had a couple of emails from some listeners who have come to me with, hey, that was a great program last week. And and I've written them back and said, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, but we've not been live since November. (laughs) To your point, the audience is still looking for the product, and that's great. Hey, I want to start today with some birthday wishes, Paul. Uh, I actually had one in my pocket that I knew about, and that caused me to just go back and look and see whose feelings might I hurt if I wish Don Nielsen at the Kalachi Factory a happy birthday today, but forget about others that might be in the queue. And I found that there's something going on in the water 
for franchising people um, in this part of the month of March, if we count the clock back nine months, let's see how many other people were conceived uh, <laughs> right about the same time. And I found a great many of our friends, Paul, yesterday, Nate Greenberg, yep. um, our, old, our old friend Mark Dawson, um, this week also going back to Sunday, Scott Thompson, Laurie Till, coming up tomorrow, Jonathan Barnett, Alex O'Donnell, Steve Gross this week from MFV, Amy LaPac, Graham Chapman from 919. There's a whole bunch of franchise birthdays all clustered together in this one week. And many happy returns to uh, to one and all. Absolutely. Absolutely. I wish uh, Nate a, uh, a happy birthday yesterday and, and, and told him just as uh, he said he was having a great day and he was taking some, some time off yesterday. And uh, we did have a conversation about him running around in his birthday suit. So we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, yeah, some things are just best, best left untouched. <laughs> untouched, did I say that? No, never mind. Yep. <laughs> hey, Paul, also just wanted to call out the fact that last week um, was International Women's Day. And I saw something that I read about that McDonald's did that I've never thought a, a brand like McDonald's would do, but their diverse chief diversity officer had a role in it. And to celebrate Women's Day at one of their stores out in California, um, they actually turned the logo upside down, and they turned the golden Ooh. arches of McDonald's M into a W to call attention to National Women's Day, which I thought was a pretty bold and audacious move on the part of McDonald's. You know, a brand with standards as tight as theirs, you don't miss your brand. But um, congratulations to them for, for doing something audacious. And also last week, in celebration of women um, in the food space, Fast Casual magazine had a great feature, which you can still find at fastcasual.com, or you can link to it through the March 9th uh, IFA Smart Brief. But they did a feature on International Women's Day Q&A with 25 female executives from the Fast Casual biz. And I mean, from Suzanne Greco at Subway or, um, you know, Christine Speck from Cousins, to Stacey Brown at Chicken Salad Chicken and, and 23 or 22 others, Jennifer Dunham from Checkers and Rallies. Um, you'll never find a collection of 25 uh, executives, female executives in food um, in one place um, like you will here. So have a look at it. It's certainly worthy of, of, of giving it a look. So hats off to Fast Casual for doing that and for celebrating and calling out and focusing on the voices of 25 of the leading executives in the fast casual restaurant business. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good time uh, in franchising too, you know, just coming out of the uh, um, Franchise Expo South and the IFA in uh, January and February coming up to the uh, multi-unit conference and some others right behind it. Uh, we are right in the middle of the busy season in franchising. Silly season is what I like to call it. You know, it comes a couple of times a year. This is one of them, and then we we get another dose of it in the fall, where things are so overlapped. And the franchise calendar has gotten ridiculous to where events not only kind of hug up to each other, but in many cases they overlap. And um, it's tough sometimes to have to make decisions about where to be or where not to be. But um, you know, it's a testament to how vibrant and robust our business is right now, and continues to be. And so nothing to complain about. Let's just celebrate that we all have places to go and things to do and people to see. In fact, I'll be um, heading out next week to 
the first advisory board meeting of the uh, Titus Franchise Center at Palm Beach Atlantic University. My many thanks to Dr. John Hayes for inviting me to, to join that advisory board. And we'll be getting together and we'll be listening to and hearing from Aziz Hashim on uh, the 28th. We meet on the 27th and then Aziz is speaking on the 28th, which is going to be great. And, um, and then right around the corner, come home for a day or so and then it's off to the multi-unit conference, which once again is going to be a massive event and FRM is proud to be sponsoring that. We'll be looking at hundreds of our logos on tote bags, hopefully. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be a great time. And speaking of FRM, just one quick plug before we get into the real meat of today's program. I just want to, uh, I want to publicly welcome two new members of the FRM team. Um, we added, since we were on the air last call, we've added two positions inside the company that I'm extremely proud of. We've got a veteran of my parent company, Arc Systems, who's been with the company since day one 12 years ago, um, has moved over to the FRM side toward the end of the year and become our chief technology officer, which is a really big win for me, having someone of his talent and, um, and his ability full-time dedicated to FRM, not as a shared resource, is phenomenal. And then we, too, are really proud and happy to welcome Cassidy Ford to our team as our very first position as chief um, success manager. So she's in charge of customer success management, and um, she's been using our product for years. Great to have her on the team and part of the uh, part of the FRM family. That's great. Um, you know, Franchise Foundry has gone through some uh, changes in the first quarter, and uh, I'd like to recognize a few of the people that uh, have been brought on as we've really cast our net out. I wasn't going to let another hurricane get in our way, so I knew we had to cast our net out border to border and coast to coast, and uh, we brought on an entire uh, sales team um, of, of brokers that are now working with us, Karen Unger, Rusty Ryan, Rob, Ruben Savalos, Reggie Beeson, Chris Johnson, Dave Sullivan, Chuck McKinney, Mad Dog, Bob Duran, John Zelenica, Rich Ash, and also an old colleague of mine and partner in another business, John Colorossi, is now uh, on our team. So um, we're looking for great things in this year and beyond. That's great, Paul. And um, hats off to you and continued success and growth. And um, we're going to do something a little different today, aren't we? Yeah, we are. You know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> interesting with uh, <laughs> a little bit, uh, but it's interesting too, you know, with multi-unit franchising uh, conference coming up as I was uh, giving thought to this show and thinking about my own experience uh, going from a single-unit franchisee to a multi-unit franchisee. And um, and some of the um, the events that came out around that, so it's uh, uh, timely, I guess, in 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 some respect, to people that are looking to make, you know, that move from being a single unit operator to a multi unit operator. Excellent thought, and you know, you're right; it is a timely thought. And um, and what I was kind of referencing about today being something a little bit different is, I think, the very first time that we joined forces and you invited me to become part of Franchise Today. I think the first guest that was a part of the roster was me. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's been a couple of three years since then, I guess, but um, here we are at the first of a ninth season 
And um, as you always do, you're going to introduce today's guest, but it's going to be kind of fun because you're switching chairs today, aren't you, Paul? Yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, <laughs> almost, almost being in the hot seat, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, what a better time than now, perhaps, than to uh, introduce today's guest. Yep, absolutely. So um, um, it's me. <laughs> Today's guest, and I, and I couldn't be more honored than uh, to have you on the on the other side of the mic, um, asking the questions and and guiding me along because I, I think this is a, uh, a a true story that um, I've retold on a numerous occasions, you know, through print and. Uh, and touch on things, and of course, in print, unless you're going to write a book, and maybe that does come down the road. I've been asked to do that before, uh, but it's the first time really, um, you know, talking about it uh, live on the air. Uh, I have spoken about it uh, several times at some franchise conferences, actually, where franchisors have asked me to speak to uh, their franchisees, and of course, I'm always honored to do so. So I am going to lobby this lob this ball back into your court and have you take it away. Well, I think what we want to really hone in on today is something that shouldn't be unfamiliar to uh, to anyone in our world in franchising or entrepreneurship, even beyond just franchising, because so many times, whether it's the Richard Bransons of the world or any of those who have great success stories, We've all heard about the success sides of the stories, but we haven't always heard some of the things that have painfully led up to those successes and, and helps really when you hear about some of those instances in time where things didn't go as planned or didn't go as hoped that you can gain strength from the fact that those entrepreneurs in that moment in time didn't quit and they didn't paint themselves victims. They stood back up and you take three last letters of the word victim and change them to T-O-R and you become victors and you continue to look through the windshield and keep on going. Um, and so I think today, Paul, while everybody knows a lot about a lot of what you've done and the things that you've been involved with, with social media, for those who know you more recently and back into the automotive days, for those who don't quite know how far back your franchising career goes, we're just going to start the program by asking you to do what it is that you do every week when we have a guest other than Paul Segreto on the program. And we invite our guests to take a look back in time. As we all know that nobody wakes up one day and says, gee, I think I'll become a franchisor today. <laughs> um, everybody lands here, but they don't really do it by, by virtue of it be, being a destination. It's been a journey. And so we want you to take us back to the beginning of yours and tell us a little bit about early days in your career and some of the, some of the painful things that you've had to encounter um, to, to manage to get yourself to where you are today. So do what you do, Paul. Take us back as far as you want to go. Well, thanks, Dan. You know, it's really uh, interesting, um, and, and you're right. None of us start out thinking we're going to wind up in franchising. And, of course, my path, like a lot of other, other guests that we've had, uh, the path seems almost illogical when you look back. Uh, but yet it was certain steps that occurred along the way. Um, when I moved to Texas in, in 78, uh, after being married a year, my father-in-law, who had moved to Texas uh, right after we had my wife and I had gotten married, um, got involved in construction, and I got involved uh, with him. 
and a lot of people don't realize uh, my early days in, in construction, I actually wound up uh, being a um, a plumber. Um, brother-in-law, one brother-in-law was heating and air, and the other was electrician, and my father-in-law was a general contractor. Uh, what year would that be, Paul? That would have been uh, anywhere from 78 to 1980 uh, in wow. there. And um, actually wound up uh, hurting my back, having uh, back surgery, that's what happens when you're a strapping young lad and think you can carry 300-pound cast-iron tubs on your back. And um, so I, I came out of that. Uh, I was unable to uh, to really work at that point and did some entrepreneurial things. And I did some uh, drafting with, a, with an architect because my passion was, you know, homes and construction at the time. And my father-in-law, who had wanted to get involved in some type of, of franchise uh, back in the day, had asked me to look at uh, opportunities that we could potentially get at. And uh, I had this conversation with um, with Fred DeLuca. Um, may he rest in peace. As many know, the uh, founder of Subway. We had the opportunity back in 78 to become um, developers for Subway. And, of course, my father-in-law thought, sandwiches? There's no way. Uh, and he decided to look at Amco, and subsequently we looked at uh, Mr. Transmission, and he signed on as a franchisee, and uh, we moved into a building that we built, and he turned to me and said, I'd like you to be my manager. And I thought, wow, I can't even drive a, a standard shift car. Uh, we didn't have them in New York unless you had the little MGB or MGs or something like that. Um, and I said, sure, why not? Went down that path for a while and realized I absolutely was terrible in that position, but I wanted to learn more, and I asked him, hold down the fort. I'm going to learn how the best of the best do it. And uh, I took my wife and two kids at the time, and we relocated back to New York, moved into Mom and Dad's house, and figured there's 80 Amcos in New York. i got to find a place. I'll do it for a year, and then I'll move back if my father-in-law still has the business. And lo and behold, within a couple of hours of, of pulling in my mom's driveway, we, uh, I found an ad in the paper. It was the closest Amco to their house, and uh, I was working by Monday at noon. And um, I really learned the right way, and I put my nose to the grindstone, and I realized all of the processes and procedures and systems and the things that uh, I really wanted to focus on. And within a year, I had turned that center around um, significantly. Uh, I think we saw about a 45% increase in sales over a year. And now I was able to go back to uh, uh, Texas. But lo and behold, my father-in-law had already realized that business wasn't for him and had sold it. And um, where I couldn't find a job with Amco before because of lack of experience, uh, they were lining up to hire me, and I – took over one of the underperforming centers and turned it around to one of the top 10 in the country. Uh, so we went from number 900 and something to in the top 10 within a three-year period of time. And uh, as I am and always have been real tuned into the customer experience, uh, lo and behold, again, uh, one of my customers was a business broker uh, who was putting together a deal with a regional franchise. And, uh, recommended that I come on board with them and 
that, of course, was my entry into uh, Atlas Transmission. And I moved uh, through the ranks there from an operations manager um, within a few years to uh, president and chief operating officer and helped, you know, put them on the map and took them. What years, what, what so, years would those have been, Paul? Yeah, so now we're uh, oh, we're probably in 1980 now, and right. um, 81, 82. So it would have been about 83 to 85 uh, where this was taking place. And uh, I took that brand from eight locations to 45 within a few years. And then uh, Marine Industries came knocking on my door, and I went up to Chicago as uh, president of Marine Industries, who <laughs> ironically had just bought the Mr. Transmission chain where I was a franchisee some years before. Uh, so it was interesting seeing some of those old-timers uh, that I was the snot-nosed, center manager that that couldn't make it and now I was president of their brand. So it's a three P. Yeah, three P. It was uh, it was a good time. So and then I, I I brought Atlas with us. We acquired Atlas along with Dr. Nick's transmission. They had just bought multi state and I was up there in Chicago and uh I worked there for uh a year and um really wasn't on Chicago and decided to move. I was actually ready to go on board with another legacy in franchising, uh, Bud Hatfield and Quick Copy. And wow, I haven't, heard that name. I haven't heard that name. I haven't yeah. heard that name in forever. Wow. Forever. Bud was a great guy. And then John Colorossi, uh, who I mentioned at the beginning of the show, um, who I had hired uh, when he had left Amco. And um, I, I had talked to him and he said, well, what are you going to do? And he said, you know, why go work someplace else? Why not become a franchisee? You know the Atlas chain better than anybody. You know the underperforming, you know, franchisees. You know the landlords. And I said, okay. So uh, I got involved with a, with an Atlas instead of going into uh, back into corporate. And I opened up one, two, three, four, five locations within a few-year period of time. And uh, – and riding the uh, the big wave of success as a multi-unit operator. And how long did that stage of your career take you? How long did you ride that? Uh, well, I rode the success part of it for about three years, and I rode the unsuccessful part of it for about two more. And so what was the, uh, as our good friend John Tesla would call it, what was the inflection point? That was really interesting. Yeah, you uh, – you know, when you when you look at it, uh, it really wasn't a plan to go into multi-unit development, and I think that was, you know, mistake number one. It was mm-hmm. taking advantage of opportunities because as I turned around one center uh, dramatically, uh, other franchisees were standing at my doorstep saying, take mine, take mine. And uh, and I did. You, you, you kind of get – you let your ego get in the way to an extent. Um, and you you jump right in. You say, I can do this. And, of course, you also have to replicate yourself. And instead of being in the business, now you're you're staring at a windshield going from location to location and and missing out on some of the points uh, that got you to where you you were fundamentally at the beginning. But the first three locations uh, was rocking and rolling. Uh, The third location that I had bought, was actually the prototype center that I built for Atlas 
um, when I was there, you know, years earlier uh, in the president's role, and I had a passion for that. And I probably um, wouldn't have taken location number four. Well, actually, that location became location number four. We were in negotiation for it to be location number three. And then the deal fell apart, and then one from across town became available. I jumped into that, and then when I did, the other one came back available. And so that was mistake, the big mistake, number one, was I had three that were clustered together and one all the way across town. And and that was all of a sudden it started weakening the uh, the system that we had. And I wound up now with different layers of management in place, and I did not have the controls uh, and processes in place uh, to really run the multiple centers as well as to be able to go across town. And while I did that, um, our friend Pete Baldine over at Mr. Transmission Now and some others that have been in the business, we we tried a um, central rebuilding center. Um, boy, that was a, a nightmare and caused even more problems because now I have mechanics driving across town, delivering units, misdiagnosis. It it just started to uh, unravel. Instead of taking a, a step back, again, um, and I didn't even realize how much of an entrepreneur I was at the time, uh, I started looking at other things, and I became a uh, a developer for Altamir as, as Moran Industries brought that on and partnered up with somebody. Um, there was a bad lease, uh, so he lost that location. So what I was doing kind of just went by the wayside. And then a new location opened up um, on the far east side of town, and that's really uh, where the, uh, the spiral started because taking over underperforming locations uh, is a lot different than starting a brand-new one. And, oh, my God, the, uh, the, the capital – um, requirements um, were just totally misjudged on my part, thinking, you know, we, we'll get off the ground real quick, and it took so much longer. And, again, now you're running around, um, and you don't see what's going on inside the business. And I think that's really was the turning point of not seeing what's going on inside the business and, and things were going on that were, um, let's just say, uh, less than than ethical i'll tell you what why don't we on that thought for our half break and when we come back let's let's take a closer look at some of those things that oh my god if i'd have only known then what i know now how different things might have turned out or how much better or, or differently you might have arrived at the place that you're at now where it is that you can not only um, reflect back on those things that you've lived through, but help others that you tutor and counsel and coach um, into franchising not have to repeat or make those mistakes because they're wearing blinders instead of, instead of seeing through clarity how to get to the finish line with sustainable growth instead of just optimistic growth. You're listening to Franchise Today as we open our ninth season of podcasting with co-host Paul Segreto in the guest chair today, and we're talking about the fears and the consequences of failure. Franchise Today is brought to you by the Franchise Foundry, where Paul and his team have been bringing emerging brands to market for more than 30 years. The Franchise Foundry offers healthy, sustainable growth for their clients, the kind that comes from experience. 
The Franchise Foundry provides both coaching and consulting and delivers more effective solutions for both the franchisor's corporate team as well as their franchisees. The Foundry team is rich in practical hands-on experience and expertise with general business management, operational and change management, digital marketing, and of course, franchise recruitment and development. Plus, the Foundry team can also assist with creating roadmaps for potential mergers and acquisitions and provide franchisors with the guidance needed to navigate them. Learn more about Paul and the Franchise Foundry, along with his expanding list of clients, at www.franchisefoundry.com. Franchising Today also brought to you by FRM Solutions, offering best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising, and it empowers real-time business and intelligence, communications and collaboration between members of franchisors' teams, as well as prospective and existing franchisees. This enables franchisors to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all messages to and from prospects as well as existing franchisees, including text. Legal and compliance is simplified too with FRM's document management and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored with FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidates and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and stored in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for your prospective franchisees, replacing old-style virtual brochures, no long-term contracts, multiple upgrades each year, no excuses, just solutions. Find them at frmsolutions.com. So Paul, I, I, I wanted to break right at that point because again, as, as 30 seconds of talking about the Foundry attests to, you've, you've learned some lessons along the way that you now share with those emerging brands that you work with that keep them from having those kinds of eyes that sometimes we have as kids when we sit down to a dinner table and we load up a plate with food and it's a lot more than we can eat. And mm -hmm. you know, your parents are always your parents are always there to tell you that, but as as kids with those big eyes we never knew that. And I think too that a lot of a lot of people that land in a position like yours um, see the opportunity for, for further growth and development but uh, don't know what they don't know yet about the difference between being an operator of one or two or three, or being the manager who has to now hire, scale, and grow and develop leaders to replace them in, in the businesses that they're leaving behind as they move on to the fourth, fifth, or sixth location. So we left off at about the point where you thought you were at um, a mistake going from that three together clustered to the fourth across town, and you were starting to help us understand a little bit about how things might have been unraveling a little from there. Why don't you pick up from there? Yeah, I think it, you know, it comes down to, you know, what I preach about today is, is culture within an organization and culture of course is built around, you know, the vision it's built around people. And as the organization grew so fast, um, I hardly knew uh, any of the people. And a matter of fact, some of my managers knew the, uh, the staff better than I did. And so you, you, you lose touch. And then, of course, um, and, I, and I just want to back up a second uh, because this is going to be very instrumental, or actually a key point here. Um, when I came over to the franchisee side, um, I had the respect of the franchisees throughout the Atlas and Mr. Transmission and other systems that Moran Industries had bought. 
and um, the franchisees uh, appointed me to Moran Industries National Advisory Council and then elected me president of it. And I, and I was really honored about that because here I was president on the corporate side, and now I'm on the franchisee side. So really had an, a, a really great chance to see things from a different light, and that really helped me a lot. But again, now I'm at that higher level, and I'm really taking my eye off the ball uh, at the local level to the point where I didn't even know, you know, some of the people in my own organization, um, which really keeps me awake even to this day. Because you, you say at the beginning of the show, you know, like you ask your question to yourself of why, you know, why did I allow that to happen? And I, I think it was just, you know, feeling like nothing could go wrong. You take over these underperforming centers that were doing next to nothing and doing just monumental numbers, and you think, well, that's just never going to end. Why would it end? And then when you hit a a patch and you start seeing sales go down, you just think it's an aberration, it's an anomaly. So you take out, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars, throw it back into the business, and say, well, that's part of revitalizing the business. And then you keep going to the well and going to the well and going to the well. And after a while, you think, well, wait a minute, you know, something else has got to be going on. And um, and and to that point, there was. I mean, I was leaving, you know, stupidly leaving you know, sign checks at the different locations for, you know, parts to be bought and different things. And finally, I, I, I got to the point, and certain people were blaming, you know, the bookkeeper and this, that, and the other thing. And, of course, stupidly, uh, I'm saying, okay, it's got to be that. It's got to be this. And um, before the uh, the music stops and you realize you don't have a chair, you um, you really dive in and you say, okay, um, this is not what's occurring. But yet you really don't know what, what is occurring. And um, I paired off a, a couple of the locations. I jumped back into one of the locations. And then the next thing I know, my attorney's calling me and saying, we've got a major problem. And um, my franchisor at the time, Moran Industries, is saying you've got a major problem. And, and all of a sudden, I felt like, the guy in the middle of a ring with Mike Tyson, Ali, Frazier, uh, Foreman, and everybody just taking shots no matter where I turned. It was another one and another one and another one. And you just say, it, it, it can't be. Why is this happening? What, what, what has occurred? And every time you try to focus on one thing, you get hit another time. And then, of course, you, you know, your ego gets in the way. It's, well, wait a minute. You know, now uh, – I can't be looked at as a failure. And you start, instead of trying to correct the problem, you start worrying about, you know, your, your, your reputation, your family, your, you know, everything else. And things just start to, to spiral out of control. And, uh, and it really got to that point where it really did uh, spiral out of control. So how did you, how did you manage through that, Paul? And <laughs> what was it that, what was it that, you know, sometimes you just have to. It's an, you have to get to a place where you can hit the bottom, I guess, so that you know that you can start to to accelerate and climb out or climb up. Um, what was that like? Where was where did that? What was that event for you? How did you turn the corner? 
You know, there was a, a line in the movie Wall Street, the original movie Wall Street, where the senior broker says to Bud Fox, the character played by uh, Charlie Sheen, and that book is, um, you know, brought in part out of what actually occurred on Wall Street at the time. And he says, um, there comes a point in a man's life where they look into the abyss and they don't realize it until they're actually into the abyss. And what what occurred at that point, almost in rapid fire, um, was something that I, I look back on and it was a whirlwind. And when you get, you know, a knock on your on your door at work and it's a you know, a detective, and you're facing, you know, criminal charges that you, 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 you just look at and you say, what? You know, when you're calling your attorney and, and you're, you're just trying to figure out what to do, um, that really is, like you asked, the, 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 the point. Uh, the point is the point of necessity where your eyes open up wide and you say, what's going on? And um, and I faced some some serious charges and and went the route and stood in front of a, a, a judge and still you know trying to sit there cloudy as to all right let's just let's just move this on and you're writing you know massive checks to attorneys and um, some that may have your best interests and some that don't um, you're facing um, you know, you're, you're, you're facing things financially. Your, your reputation is at stake. Um, you don't know who to trust anymore because it goes back to some of the uh, original issues. And it's just this whirlwind, like I said, standing in the middle of the ring, getting hit and hit and hit and hit and hit. And I don't want to come across, you know, as a victim. Uh, at the time, I, I really felt like I was a victim. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with, you know, had to stop with me. Uh, and I had to take, you know, responsibility regardless of what happened or regardless what was going on. And it was at that moment where I actually, you know, pulled out of it, at least mentally, and said, you know what, we need to get to the bottom of this. We need to take care of what needs to be taken care of regardless of, 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 of what took place. And you know what? I also need to, you know, fight back for my reputation. And um, we went back, and uh, even after, um, you know, being convicted, we went back to with, with another attorney and went through all the facts. And we went back in front of the judge and were able to get, you know, those things uh, expunged and, and, and just pushed aside, so to speak. But it was the people um, that you know, had the most faith in me that, that came, you know, to the table. Um, I mean, what were those detectives, I, what were those detectives coming and accusing you of? Well, there was uh, a couple of checks out there that had my signature on it that were written that had bounced and, um, unbeknownst to me. And, um, obviously it caused a, 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 a very serious uh, issue. The interesting was, even before I went into court, um, I immediately um, provided restitution and took care of those. And, um, you know, my attorney had said, you know, it's a good thing you did that. This should be, you know, a no-brainer. And, uh, and I was just wanting to put it aside and 
not knowing what the not even thinking about what the the ramifications could be with that you know on your record you just say i want to do the right thing i want to take care of it let's move on i still got a business to run i got to figure out what to do to to patch up relationships because you 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 hit this point of serious despair and and loneliness um you, you you're looking at people wondering how they're looking at you who knows mm-hmm. uh, and quite frankly embarrassingly uh i could say it now i mean you know you have suicidal thoughts uh, that are very real and all of a sudden it just starts you know clouding clouding everything and fortunately uh like i was saying you know people um one in particular you know, had a quarter of a million dollar judgment against me um, that eventually they dismissed when they realized that I wasn't at the uh, at the fault of it. And that to me was just astonishing um, because, like I said, the buck stops with me, but it wasn't uh, me that caused this ripple effect. And, uh, and they released it. And that, you know, obviously helped, you know, when, when people have a renewed, you know, faith in you. And not that they ever lost faith. It's that it was more me thinking that everybody lost faith. And I just, you know, buried my hand in the, head in the sand. And as they say, when you bury your head in the sand, your most vulnerable asset, uh, emphasis on the first vulnerable <laughs> asset. Well, I'll tell you, that, that's up for everybody to take advantage of. And... um and that was that was tough, and I'll, and I'll tell you, um, it was a rough patch. Um, I had a renewed faith in uh, in my abilities and what people uh, felt about me and all the support that came to me, and um, we made everything good and um, supposedly got the record clear. Of course, in today's day and age, um, there's stuff on the Internet that, you know, you, you constantly have to go back and, and try to squash. But, you know, that was back in, in 2001 and 2002. And I'll tell you, Stan, the big turning point was September 11, 2001. And that sounds very cliche, very optimistic or whatever. But that day I sat with one foot in a shoe and one foot out and sat mesmerized for four hours. I worked for three years, three summers in the towers. Uh, I saw them every day on the ferry. So to see what was going on, all of a sudden put some of the things in what's going on in my life in perspective. And then that night Mm -hmm. I found out that a close friend from high school and another friend from high school both perished uh, in the towers that day uh, when they weren't even supposed to be there. They jumped on board to help out. They were both first responders. Um, And then when I found that, I thought, this is nothing compared to what, they just did. And that day I decided I'm going to divest myself of what was um, remaining in the business. Um, and I said, I want to help people. I want to get back to doing what I do best, which is help people succeed. And when I looked back at the first two centers that I took over, uh, I went into them, not so much that financial windfall. I mean, obviously, we all go into business, and that's part of it. But I remember my first conversations with the crews at both of those locations, and I said, I'm going to help you make more money than you've ever made before. And I was able to achieve that, and as a result, I reaped the benefits. So I thought, 
I would do the same thing now. And it was on that day, September 12, 2001, that I made a decision, you know, to get involved in consulting and to help people uh, avoid what, what I went through and under any circumstance, uh, any type of business failure, um, I, I just decided that's what I needed to do. Well, I think it's um, uh, it's a bit dramatic that you had to live through all of what you've been a part of to to get to the place where you can serve better. I mean, all of us live and learn, hopefully, from the experiences that we we take along with us from place to place and experience to experience and then further prepares us for whatever it is we're going forward to do next. And then sometimes in real time, it's hard to see that, right? I went through my painful years with, you know, the birth of a brand um, that should have taken off and launched like a rocket, um, but it was based on wage-based tax credits for the creation of jobs, and the year was 2007, 2008. Oh, boy. What do, we, what do we remember about 2008 and what were happening to jobs or what was happening to jobs in the U.S. then? Um, you know, they were, they were being sucked out of the universe at the speed of light, not being created and, and growing. And so a great concept, great brand, um, ill-conceived time, ill-conceived moment in time, but it was a learning experience that has brought me forward better, stronger, and better able to do things that I'd not have had the experience of, of living through in, in a moment in time where it wasn't really feeling much like a success at all. But mm-hmm. life's, lesson, life's lessons come through those, through those moments, Paul, and um, unfortunate that, that yours had to be as dramatic as it was to get you to the new starting line. But, um, you know, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, I suppose. Yeah, I, I guess, you know, it, it, but... It's kind of like to the movie, some of you might remember the movie Midnight Express, where the young guy and his girlfriend were in Turkey, and he decides to try to smuggle um, hashish, I guess, back into the States and gets arrested and gets thrown into a Turkish prison. And if you've seen the movie, um, it ends uh, with him getting out of the prison, but the book is, that's only the halfway point. And because then getting out of Turkey was the uh, was the big thing, and the Midnight Express was the train that that got him out of Turkey. But in in my situation, I was at that point. Um, I was now at a, at a point facing, what am I going to do next? And and even though I had all this experience and stuff, you know, first of all, when I was on the franchisee side, I lost contact with a lot of people on the franchisor side. Um, because I was a franchisee for five or six years. You know, when I was a franchisor, I was very much involved with, you know, Joyce Mazzaro and Steve Hammerstein and some others on the Coalition for mm-hmm. Responsible Franchising. But that was, you know, six, seven years in my rearview mirror. And a lot of the contacts just weren't there anymore. And I'm sitting there, and I remember saying, okay, we're moving forward. What do I do next? And I got to tell you, you, you come out of a, a C-level position, several C-level positions, and you come out of being a successful franchisee, and you're sitting there and you're saying, what do I do now? What does my resume look like? Who's going to hire me now? And, you know, and, and, and the financial repercussions, you know, continued for many years, um, you know, 
fighting foreclosure and 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 everything else as a result of just spending ridiculous amounts of money. Um, you know, children's weddings along the way. I mean, it was there was there was a lot to deal with. And I remember, and I said, well, what do I do best? I know franchise sales. And I looked on Monster, and I saw a job for um, a franchise sales job that paid $30,000. And it was with a master franchisee in a commercial cleaning industry. And I went in, and I took that $30,000 a year job, and I said, I need a lot more. And he said, well, if you can do this, you'll make that. And in 91 days, now, of course, you know, we're talking about, you know, lower level, you know, franchise sales. But in 91 days, I sold 90 unit level franchises um, in the commercial cleaning industry, you know, for anywhere from, you know, two to $10,000 a piece. And Did you say 90, just, 90 or 91 in 90 days? 90 in, 91 in 90 days. Uh, that's, those are big numbers, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anybody who does that today. You know, it, it, like you said, necessity. I mean, I did everything, you know, ethically, and but I was, I was at the top of my game, um, like I said, at a necessity, but also more than anything, to get myself back up where I needed to be. And I started at 30, and by the middle of the summer, um, I was on pace for an annual salary of, of 90. So uh, I was getting close to where I, I needed to be, and I did what I had to do and uh, worked with them for about three years, actually um, spun it out and uh, uh, wound up selling it to a group out of Monterey. Uh, that worked out real well. And then I'm just hitting this point to saying, okay, but what, do I, what am I doing? You know, I, I, I don't want to be at this level. I want to I help people too. And I'm sitting there now. We're facing 2008, and I say I got to reinvent myself. What's going to make me stand out? And I latched onto social media, 2007, 2008, and didn't know anything about it. And you know, the rest, as they say, is history. I mean, if it wasn't for 2008 to 2012, and my heart goes out to all the people that did not have a good time during that period, it was some of my best years. Mm-hmm. It was some of my best years because I, I, I reinvented myself and was tenacious at it. I mean, when you got nothing else to do, <laughs> you know, you, you dive into something like that, it works out well. Well, I think, as again, I said earlier, Paul, in, sometimes in those moments in time, in real time, um, we have no idea why we are where we are. We have no idea why this has happened, what made me have to live through this. Um, you know, my, my experience with a failed franchise concept that I gave birth to uh, didn't have as dramatic an ending as yours, although it had its really, you know, deep pain points. But I think, again, we are being prepped for the things that come next and the experiences that we go through in real time that we can then share back with people who are stepping up to the plate perhaps for the first time, doing something that we've already lived through and have learned from. And it's kind of like at a conference, I'll always tell people that come to a franchise conference, you've got a franchisor who has an agenda for this conference. You've got a group of franchisees who might be carrying in their agenda for the conference. 
And you may come into that influenced one way or the other, but the thing you really, really should understand is there are people out there who have already cracked the code on something that you've not yet learned, and, and you've cracked the code on some things that there are people out there who haven't yet experienced. And so if you come into places and time with clean slates of open-mindedness and you take the best parts of everything you've learned and pay it forward and pay it back, um, I think at the end of the day it all kind of evens out and hopefully you come out a little bit more on the plus side than on the minus. It sounds like you've gone to the extremes to achieve that, Paul, but I'm certain that the people who you serve and that the foundry serves are uh, beneficial for the life experience and the, and the frontline pain that you've lived through uh, to help stave them off from doing some of those things that might innocently or otherwise get them into the kind of trouble that they're not getting into business to, to get into at all. Yeah, Parting well, thoughts, Paul. Any nuggets you want to leave? The story is compelling, but any thoughts or nuggets that you would leave with the audience today uh, for some of the rock, the rocks, as Shelley would call them, instead of the pebbles sure. that the audience can, can take out of this interview? Yeah, I, you know, I think the big thing, and that's one of the reasons why, as, as many know, so passionate about emerging brands because uh, I feel they are most apt if there's anybody in franchising to experience some of the issues that I went through. Uh, it would be those emerging brands because you think you have the, the best things in sliced bread, and you think, well, I'll just put it out there and people will buy it. And maybe they do, and maybe that initial success you know, is is really a uh, um, a bad point almost to to an extent because uh, it allows you to or it it, it just creates a, a an opportunity for you to take your eye off the ball and think everything's going to be roses. And um, so, what I would say is two things: systems and culture. Okay, make sure you develop the right culture within your organization. Know who works with you. Know who has their life on the line for you that, you know, relies on you for their livelihood and the families that, um, you know, depend on it, including your own. And realize, you know, those mistakes uh, can have some unbelievable uh, repercussions. Uh, That's number one. Number two, on the other side, the processes and the systems you know, know your numbers. Know your numbers and don't be fooled by what you think is an anomaly or an aberration because it's not. Uh, it's a trend. It's the start of a trend or you're in the middle of a trend and do what you need to do to stop it immediately, understanding that the buck stops with you. And I'm going to end this um, with something that's very timely. Uh, some of you in Texas know about Bob's Chop House, uh, one of the infamous uh, iconic brands from Dallas and have uh, gone across the state uh, in Texas. And one just the other day um, closed its doors. Right here in the Woodlands, probably one of the best places uh, in the world for a steakhouse. And I drove by and I watched them pulling equipment out of it and boxes of liquor out of it. And I saw on the review sites, you know, people screaming and hollering, how come they didn't tell the employees? And Um, it's just, you know, people don't understand the ripple effect and the complexity of failure. It doesn't end when those doors close. 
the the owners, the principals, the stakeholders are dealing with something there for many, many years to come. And um, But that being said, it is a great educator. It is a, uh, a great experience as long as you learn from that experience and, and make improvements and, more importantly, you know, give back as much as you can. Well, Paul, I'm going to take my hat off to you for doing that today because in a very, very deep and personal way, um, you've just shared your story and opened up your heart and, um, and spilled it. And hopefully there are people that are tuned in now or who will be downloading from iTunes or from Block Talk Radio and listening to this broadcast who I would hope would reach out and thank you for your candor and your openness and um, opening up your, your personal life to, um, to perhaps help others stave off some of the kinds of things that they shouldn't have to live through if they can learn about them by anecdotally experiencing an hour of the story of your life. Paul, I really thank you for doing this today. And I want to um, thank our audience for staying with us. And um, Season 9 just opened with a really high watermark, so we're going to have to really step it up to come up with some great guests next week and the weeks that follow. But um, you've been listening to Franchise Today, and I'm going to do something that Paul usually does, which is thank you for tuning in and spending some time in this great thing that we call franchising. We'll be back next week, 12 noon Eastern time on Wednesday. And until then, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the very best in this world of franchising, and we'll see you soon. Franchise Today is out. <laughs> Franchise pros, Stan the man, Paul Segretto. Time to show you the way of franchising today. Hey, do you possess the spirit of an entrepreneur? Wanna lay your business plan down like a rug or a floor? Or maybe you have a dream of opening a chain of delis? Or whatever passion lights that pilot light under your belly? Or do you want to start a business, fam, using the proven trademark from another brand? Huh. And grow together and expand like a rage of fire. From a single to a multi-unit empire. Well, pay attention to this podcast that you hear. It's streaming in HD. So fine tune both of your ears. And Stan and Paul lays down the law. Whether you want to be a franchisee or a franchisor. It's all about sustainable growth. The sensible franchising. Proving concepts to start enterprises. So use your left and right side of your brain. And absorb this knowledge here of franchising today. Franchising today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today, sustainable growth, the sensible franchising. Franchise today. Franchise today. Franchising today. Yeah. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.